Hello, everybody, and happy Thursday. Welcome to episode 13 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker, alongside, as per usual, my father, Chris. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, Dylan. Just uh, reeling a little bit over the holiday family decision not to miss. We'll get into that. I know, but I'm just saying it's it's a little it it stings a little, Dylan. It stings a little. Twelve years with the Blue Jays, and he's going in with a blank hat. I'm not so sure how I feel about that, and I know we'll get into it, but, mm-hmm. but that's that how I'm doing, will. Dylan. That's how I'm doing today. I thank you for asking. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm great. I'm great. You know, I'm so happy you had your original idea to ask. Um. I had an I've I've had an amazing day so far, and I hope everyone out there is enjoying their Thursday or whatever day it may be when you're listening to this. So let's get right into things. Two days ago, the 2019 Hall of Fame electees were announced with four players receiving the call to the hall. Those four players were unsurprisingly Mariano Rivera, getting 100% being on 100% of the ballots, making him the first ever unanimous Hall of Famer. The late and great Roy Halladay on 85.4% of the ballots. Him, along with Edgar Martinez, got 85.4%. And Mike Messina just got over that 75% marker at 0.7% of the ballots. Personally, I agree with the inductees. Before we get into the Halladay hat drama, is there anyone that was missed for you? Well, I mean, you know who I'm going to go to being a Canadian, but it's, uh, I mean... Yeah, I think it's I think it's Larry's time. I think he'll get it next year. Uh, but uh, but I mean, you know what? I I I know that people are talking about Larry Walker's Colorado days and that the you know the whole mile high thing affects him. But the the he he had great splits in in parks that were not Colorado, mm-hmm. and, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he's getting closer. Twenty percent jump this year. That's huge. And uh, and maybe next year's his year, but I think if anyone was missed, it was him. Yeah. Um. Before we get into the holiday stuff as well, uh, Fred McGriff, Michael Young, Lance Berkman, Miguel Tejada, Placido Polanco, along with Roy Oswalt, all either fell off the ballot or had less than five percent, or run less than five percent of the ballots this year. So let's get into what you have been wanting to talk about since well, we wait. started. I don't know where Vernon Wells ended up. Huh? Where did Vernon Wells end up? I, I don't know, but clearly it wasn't relevant enough for well, he must us to know. First year, I would think, but I was shocked to see him even on there. But uh, and no, no offense to Vernon. I mean, he was a great Blue Jay, but um, I just didn't expect him to even be on there, and he was, and that was fantastic for him. But I just feel like he's probably dropped off already. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, well, yeah. Fred, McGriff, Fred McGriff's going to be a. Uh, I just wanted to say one thing about Fred McGriff. Truly believe that at some point he'll probably end up being there. Uh, Bain's got in. McGriff is getting in. He's just going to have to be part of the Veterans Committee, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now I, I agree with that. I do think that Fred McGriff is going to get in eventually. Uh, I mean, with the names that we saw get in this year, I think he'll easily get in through the Veterans Committee. Um, but Roy Halladay, today was announced, or his family announced, that um, he will go into the Hall of Fame wearing a blank cap or a generic Hall of Fame cap. Halliday played 12 years as a Toronto Blue Jay, won a Cy Young, and went to several All-Star games with the Blue Jays. He played four years with the Phillies, threw a postseason no-hitter, won a Cy Young there, and was an All-Star in 2009, 10, and 11. 
So the Holiday family announced today that he will be going in wearing nothing. Clearly, you disagree with that decision. And I will let you tell all the listeners why you do. Well, I don't. Listen, the family always knows him better. So, you know, before he passed away, the family knows Roy Halladay better than any of us could ever, ever know Roy Halladay. And for that, Mm -hmm. uh, that is why that is the one thing I want to preface this this comment with, because I know that the Twitter garbage clowns out there are going to lose their minds. They already are. I saw Mike Wilner of Sportsnet's uh, tweet about trying to calm everybody down, and I agree with him to calm everybody down. But and I did make a comment, so this is not off off the the rails here. I did make a comment to him, just finding out, you know, is he a little a little um, disappointed and at this very moment responded to that on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> what was his answer? Disappointed, but I'm not angry. Uh, I got to know Brandy a little bit over the years and I absolutely love her. Uh, she told me many times, sorry, it just didn't, it just popped off my screen here. Uh, she told me many times how much she loves Toronto and the Blue Jays and how it all felt like home. Uh, and I will respect her wishes. Uh, she's closer to this than anyone. And that's kind of where I'm going as well. So Mike, well, mm-hmm. listen to this. Uh, thank you, first of all, for responding to my tweet while we were doing this podcast. <laughs> and also uh, for sort of saying what I'm about to say here is, is Brandy knows him better than anyone else. And, and that is an important fact here. As a Jays fan, I'm disappointed. I would have liked to see him go in as a Blue Jay, 12 years as a Blue Jay. Uh, he said on Sportsnet interviews that he wanted to go in as a Blue Jay. But as I say again, just circling back to that first comment, maybe he said at times at home in private settings that he really can't pick between the Phillies and the Blue Jays. And I'm going to give him an argument here. He did throw the second playoff no-hitter with the Phillies. He did throw a perfect game with the Phillies. uh, And yet he always felt like he was kind of a Blue Jay at heart. He retired uh, by signing a one-day contract with the Blue Jays. Boy, you know, that's a tough decision because, I mean, there's a lot of things he did with the Phillies too, much less years, and I get that, and that's, as a Blue Jays fan, where I'm going with this. However, um, you know, how do you deny what you did with the Phillies even though it wasn't a good time? I get it. I'm disappointed. I'm not angry. Same as Wilner, but I just, uh, as a Jays fan, it's a little disappointing, and that's all I'm going to say. Now, listen, for the garbage clowns on Twitter, you have no idea what was in the guy's will. You have no idea what he may have said to Brandy Braden and what's Roy's other son's name? I, it has slipped my mind. I did know it, but I, it has slipped my mind. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but you have no idea what he may have said to the family at home, hinting that maybe he did want to go in as a Philly as well. And I think that it was the right thing to do in this case because Roy isn't here, unfortunately, to say. I wanted to go in as a Blue Jay or I wanted to go in as a Philly. You know what? He, he has no way of telling us right now which team he wanted to, to go in representing. And so anyone who's saying that he should have gone in as a Blue Jay or he should have gone in as a Philly, because I'm sure that Phillies fans are making that argument, you cannot seriously say that without at least feeling a little bit of guilt because the guy passed away tragically last year. And you have no idea what he may have said at home and what he may have written in his will about a possible Hall of Fame induction or election, which happened, which happened to happen 
Sorry, I shouldn't have said. I don't know <laughs> what I just said, but it, it happened yesterday. So you have no idea, as a garbage clown ranting on tw- ranting on Twitter, what he may have said to his family. So the decision was made. You can't change that decision by ranting on Twitter, by yelling at the family, by threatening the family, which I hope no one does. If anyone's out there threatening the family, get off of social media and get a life. But you have no idea what was said, and I think it was the right decision all the way. As much as I wanted to see him going as a Blue Jay, I think they made the right move here. I agree. I agree. Great take, Dylan. Thank you. Thank you. Didn't agree with my takes last week, so it feels good to hear that this week. <laughs> um, so, moving on, something that most of you may already know. Two days ago, the Yankees traded starter Sonny Gray to the Cincinnati Reds, a team that has made a lot of moves this offseason. Gray was a dominant performer for the A's, but has been anything but that in New York. Gray struggled in the rotation and was somewhat, and was somewhat effective in the pen. When he was traded, the Reds signed him immediately to a three-year, $30.5 million deal with an option for a fourth year. Could this be exactly what Sonny Gray needs to go back to the Sonny Gray that tore everyone apart in Oakland? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think this is exactly what he needs. I think this is going to be a good campaign for him. I think this is a good spot for him. Um, the Reds are a different animal than New York than the New York <laughs> And I just think there's some people that just can't handle the New York market. And I'm not saying that Sonny Gray is some sort of weak ling and can't handle New York. No. I don't know him. But, um, but there's just some people that handle it better than others. And I feel like Cincinnati's more of an Oakland-y type place. And, uh, and for Sonny Gray, maybe it's a perfect spot for him to rejuvenate his, his career. Um, and I thought even maybe Toronto was a good spot for him to do that. But interdivision, as we all know, interdivision trades are not always easy to make. No. Probably uh, this one wasn't going to happen. Uh, so for Cincinnati to get him, I think it's a perfect spot, perfect landing spot for him. And it's a perfect recovery spot for him to show what he's really got. Uh, New York is no Oakland, that's for sure. So when he went from the low attendance and no media pressure whatsoever in Oakland to a passionate fan base and a ton of media coverage in New York, that was probably a huge change for him and a change that he might not have been ready for. And he didn't perform like Sonny Gray can perform while, or during his tenure as a New York Yankee. And I do think that going to the Reds can get him back to being an ace. And I think that he could man that rotation. He could be their ace that carries them throughout the year, eats a bunch of innings, and sits down a lot of hitters with a high number of strikeouts because that's what he was if I if I'm if I remember correctly that's what he was as an Oakland athletic so I do think that the that like you do that uh, this is exactly what Sonny Gray needs because I think that he will be uh that it, this is a change that will benefit him with a lot less pressure on him and um and just his moment to shine versus having all sorts of stars around him and he was expected to live up to that there aren't as many big, huge pitching stars in Cincinnati. So I think that it's a beneficial move for the Reds and for Sonny Gray. Yep, I agree. Benefits for both sides. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't lose, I don't think, with this move at all. And, and no. so, you know, it's, it's a good move even for the Yankees. And, and 
and, and you know they've got some other rotation options that they're working through. And for the Reds, they need this pitcher, and and I think that Sonny Gray might be a good good fit for them. I, I think that they have an opportunity to see him flourish there, and mm-hmm. he could be back this year. And if he is, great for the Reds because they've got a steal. Yeah, I definitely. Moving on now, earlier today, I had the privilege of talking to Casey Stern, host of Inside Pitch on MLB Network Radio every weekday from 2 to 6 p.m., and it was a great conversation, so here it is. I'm now joined by Casey Stern, host of MLB Network Radio's Inside Pitch. Hey, Casey, how are you this fine Thursday afternoon? Doing great. Great to have you uh, and to get a chance to be on board, man. appreciate this. Oh, no problem. It's our pleasure. We're so happy that you could join us. Um... So in last week's episode, let's get right into things. Sorry, I should have walked into that a little bit better. Um, in last week's episode, my dad and I had an argument about the slow off season. Uh, when it comes to this point on January 24th, which is the date today, if I'm not wrong, uh, is it advantage team or advantage player when it comes to these free agent signings? Well, yeah, I think it's clearly advantage team because the players now are sitting there and they're looking in a situation where they have – you know, very few places to go at the highest level in terms of Harper and Machado because of the fact that really Bryce wants to be a Dodger. They haven't freed up enough money yet or have been willing to do it because the luxury tax, he doesn't want to play in Philly. They're willing to offer him money. You've got the Nationals, but you really have got three spots, maybe four. Chicago White Sox, I don't think he ends up on, but they're in it. Uh, you know, Machado, same thing. Team's kind of knocking away. And, and the longer it goes, the more the leverage goes on the teams and the owners because they say, hey, look, if you would have had these great offers that you loved already, you would have signed. So they don't feel like they're desperate to go offer a lot of money. The other thing is, is that the other players who are waiting are scared. It's why Nick Marquez has signed a one-year deal for $6 million because they're afraid. I mean, they don't want to be left out in the cold and be in a situation where they don't get paid at all. And we're now in the second year in a row where I think, you know, players are starting to get really afraid of uh, getting left out because they're asking for too much money based on what they think they're worth. And, you know, right now what you're worth is not the same as what you're getting paid. So I think it's clearly on the side of the teams and the owners. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. That's what I was trying to push last week. Um, Because every agent I read, I, I read an article on Yahoo Sports that, Every agent has promised their player that they're going to make the most money out of anyone. And then they get to this point where they're waiting and the offers start to get lower and lower. And at this point, it's just the team doesn't have to sign the player. And there are so few teams, like you said, that are able to, that are going to sign the player and are willing to sign the player that at this point, it does become advantage team. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think we're in a situation now where, you know, now we're kind of unfortunately waiting to see whether or not, you know, Harper or Machado signs first and then the floodgates, we hope will open up. It, it should mm-hmm. open things up a little bit to give us a sense of exactly, you know, what is to expect from the other free agents. But for example, an AJ Pollock can't sign until Harper goes because the teams that want Harper and don't get him will be the teams that he might be able to get that fourth or fifth year from versus the three that people are trying to get. Yeah. And uh, a little bit based on that question, uh, is this the new norm? Is this what we're going to see every year from now on in the off season? I mean, I hope, I hope not. I mean, I, I think it's definitely possible because, you know, last year was supposed to be an aberration and here we are again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I start to worry that maybe we're in this spot where eh, we, we could be seeing this a lot. And it's, it really is unfortunate because the baseball offseason used to be so much fun. Uh, now the hot stove, I mean, you know, the electric's been turned off. So, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's become, I think, really difficult to get excited 
in terms of that. But I, yeah, I, I will admit, going into this off season, I didn't think that was even a, an option. But I'm a little bit fearful of that, being honest with you. Yeah, I, I do think that it could be what we see from here on out. And like you said, I don't want it to be baseball off season is supposed to be exciting, but the last two have not been. Moving over to prospects for the moment. Which up-and-coming prospect do you think is going to impact their team the most in the 2019 season? Well, I, you know, in a playoff run, I can't give you any mm-hmm. that really stand out to me um, in terms of that we haven't seen at least a little bit of. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, Walker Bueller is not a prospect. He's kind of a, a Cy Young candidate, yeah. especially after what we saw. Um, the two that stand out that I think are, are – I think clear cut if they get enough ABs to have a, a huge year are Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox and, you know, clearly Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the top end of that. I mean, you know, look, uh, Vlad Jr. is a guy who is going to be a perennial all-star and a superstar barring any kind of an injury situation or some kind of a fluke thing that, that we're not prepared for, because regardless of how or where he plays defensively, the guys hit skills and, his athleticism and everything else he brings to the table. I mean, he's a carbon copy of really what his dad did and actually has some things his dad didn't even. So I I think, you know, they'll get a lot of at-bats. Their numbers will be good in Toronto and in Chicago, respectively. Uh, As far as impact on on a big club, I I don't have anybody I could give you, honestly, off the top of my head. I mean, you look, does Peter Alonso play first base every day for the Mets? And it puts him in a position where they're better than maybe some people think they are. Perhaps it's possible. Um, but guys like Tatis in San Diego and even some of the others, I mean, really, most of them, you know, are getting opportunities or will, not just because they deserve it, but because they're playing on teams that have positions for them to open up. I think in most cases, you don't see that with teams that are ready to go win a World Series. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But uh, do you think that Fernando Tatis and Vlad Guerrero Jr. could help speed up the rebuilds for their respective clubs? Well, you know, I look. I, you know, I, I never understand anything the Padres are doing, so I would love to tell you the answer is yes to that. But honestly, I mean, they're the team that is still using MapQuest and Google Maps instead of a GPS to try to figure out how to win. So mm-hmm. I, I don't really think so. You know, as far as the, the Jays are concerned, the answer will be definitely yes. It's going to take a lot of time. I mean, they're in a division that's very difficult. They right now have to figure out, is Aaron Sanchez somebody who they can look at as part of their future, a bus? Is he somebody to trade? Strowman, obviously, they would like to move. Um, you know, they've gotten a chance to move Martin's contract already, which obviously helped them. Um, you know, obviously, the, you know, they ate too low money just to be able to free up a space oh, for Lourdes Gabriel to be able to play. So, you know, I, I, look, I think Vlad will help because I think he's a stud. I mean, he could be an all-star in, really in year two, if not in year one, if he got enough at-bats. That's how good he is. But I, I don't know how quickly that either of those guys individually are going to help those two teams get better. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I can't disagree with that as much. As I'd love to believe as a Jays fan that Guerrero will help the rebuild speed up a couple of years. I don't think it will. Like you said, we're in probably the, one of the toughest divisions in baseball and it's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Uh, so I ask you this, which team is going to come out of nowhere and be the Oakland days of last year and be a, contender is is there any team for 2019 that you think could do that you know i honestly i i keep thinking about this i don't think so you know it's really hard because we don't know where everybody's gonna play yet um and if philadelphia got harper and machado they're not out of nowhere anyway mm-hmm. um you know I, look I, I think the reds are 
trying to be competitive, but in that division, I, I honestly can't see it. There's nobody in the West for me in the National League at all. I mean, that's the Dodgers may win that division by double digits, and Arenado maybe gets traded in July. Uh, Diamondbacks, Giants, you know, the Padres, no. Um, you know, Cardinals wouldn't be a surprise at all. They may win the division, which may surprise some people, but I don't think they're necessarily a surprise. In the East, I think after all the things the Mets have done, uh, you know, they're not necessarily – they may jump from where they were last year if things go well and they stay healthy in a pitching staff, but I don't think it will be an A situation. Um, you know, and then you look at the American League. Look, I, I think the Angels potentially could surprise some people if Harvey hit – uh, you know, not hit literally with the bat, but in terms of the, that was a deal that worked out for them. And, you know, somehow the dark night returned and, you know, their young pitchers and Skaggs and Heaney have plenty of talent to put together great seasons. Um, you know, Cozart healthy, uh, Trout there, Simmons continuing to grow. The, the Astros have gone back a step. The Mariners have gone back a step. So, you know, I don't know how much when you've got the best player in the world that's is surprised, not necessarily the A's for sure. Uh, but the Angels could be better than we think. The Rays could somehow contend for the division and surprise everyone um, because of the addition of Morton and what Glasnow did. And obviously, Snell won the Cy Young. I mean, I don't see that, but, you know, that's certainly a surprise. And then, you know, the place where really it was available to do this was in the Central. So, you know, it, look, if the White Sox get Machado and all of a sudden make three or four other moves, and, you know, go ahead and challenge the Indians, it'll still be at 87 wins to go win the division anyway. So I, I don't think there is a team this year that's going to surprise at that level. If anything, I think there are teams that could disappoint this year. Uh, the A's could go way back. I think the Brewers, if they don't add a starting pitcher, could go back and end up being a third-place team in this division. I think the Rockies could end up in fourth place and having traded everybody by July. So there are guys and teams that I think could go the other way. I think the Braves could be a big disappointment this year. So I, I think there's more disappointing teams than there are surprises. Yeah, and uh, going back to the Angels, I always feel like they're one move away from being a big contender because they do have a lot of talent on that team, but they can never pull it off in a year I think and and a big move last year for the Rays was Tommy Pham and I think the Angels need to find their Tommy Pham to contend um yeah I mean, look, they, they they have not wanted to spend money since the heaven mm-hmm. major thing um so I think that that's kind of been an issue for them for um but you know yeah I mean look they need Skaggs and Heaney those two young kids got to step up for right absolutely yeah for sure I mean that pitching staff has a ton of potential but they haven't proven themselves yet in the big leagues. Um, a lot of rumors have been surrounding Marlins star catcher. Some say he's the best catcher in baseball. I disagree with the statement. JT Romuto this offseason. But nothing has happened to this point. What do you think is going on here? And is this, are we going to see it change anytime soon? Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't think they really want to trade him. And because he's got two years left, they don't feel very desperate at all to do so, you know? So I think that's the issue. Um, so, I th- you know, I, I, I think to me, I look at the situation with Real Muto and I say, look, if, if they get completely blown away, then I think they'll make the deal. But I don't think a deal's going to get made. I mean, I really don't. I don't, I don't think Real Muto is, is going to move. And I, and I hate to do this to you, but I got to go prep my show 
uh, which you know, obviously you can catch uh, Inside Pitch every day on MLB Network Radio and all that good stuff. And uh, let's definitely do this again soon, man. It's always a pleasure to come on. Oh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Be well, buddy. Casey is such a great guy. If you somehow don't already, go listen to Inside Pitch. Great show every weekday from 2 to 6 p.m., as I mentioned, on MLB Network Radio, which is Sirius 209 XM 89 for your information. Moving on now. How crazy was that to have Casey Stern join us? What a great interview. I know it was, it was great to have him on. So happy he came on. Thanks again, Casey, for joining us. One of the most interesting free agents, to me at least, this offseason. It was a pretty quick transition. Signed a one-year deal yesterday to return to Atlanta. Obviously, Nick Markakis, the free agent I'm talking about, is no Bryce Harper, nor is he Manny Machado. But he was interesting because he had the best year of his career last year. He was an all-star and stayed consistent all year long. However, he was 34 heading into free agency. Markakis only got a one-year deal worth $4 million with a $6 million club option in 2020. Were you at all surprised by this contract? No, if I was surprised, it's because he's still around. Uh, I mean, you know, how old is Mark Kikis? Uh, 34 or 35 now, I think. Yeah. 92. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like Mark Kikis was a rat, has been around for 18 billion years? Because he haunted us when he was with the Orioles? Maybe that's why. It probably just felt like a really long time. He but left such a huge time. scar on Jay's fans. Yeah, he, he really did. And you know he what? Tore he us apart. Around. He's still getting one year contracts. I think that's where he is in his career. I, I think he's got maybe maybe two or three of these one year contracts left in He's trade bait for the July thirty first trade deadline. Uh to get the, Braves, the Braves don't need trade bait. Yeah, well, you never know. Maybe they do. I mean you gotta have that next wave of people too, right? So and that's, I think, what the Blue Jays are building, as I said last week. And I think you're going to see the Braves and others try to do that, too, is to make sure that your, your first wave isn't your only wave. You want mm. to remain competitive for many, many years and, you know, build that prospect base. And I know Casey, who was just on here, says prospects are cool, parades are cooler. But that's the cool part about that is that if you do acquire more prospects, you're going to be able to trade them as well mm-hmm. for a higher person than say a Marcakis and you know and, and and that's where you get your parade so so I think it's a good move I think why not right and yeah uh, Marcakis is a good clubhouse guy from the from all I've heard so uh you know he destroyed the Blue Jays and I despise him but <laughs> at the same time I don't really and <laughs> I have heard he's a good clubhouse guy so good for him and I think he deserves that contract. But my my thing is he's only gotten better with age so does that I mean I know as a team age is always such a huge risk and especially in 2019 where teams are so reluctant to give anyone above the age of 33 even at times a, a, a more than a one year deal but um well, I think he's got a good read on the market. Him or his agent have a good read on the market. They understand that, and they understand that you know a multi-year deal for a 34-year-old position player is maybe not out there anymore. But I think they could have gotten more than four million. <sighs> really? I I don't. I no. I mean, you look at his stats. He was an All-Star last year. I think maybe based on the season he had last year, that he could have gotten a little bit more than four million. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's possible. He did have a good season, but, um, you know, that's where the game is right now. The game is mm-hmm. about being young, and 
age is a huge factor and it's funny yeah. that you could never get away with that in regular business life anymore but uh but in baseball and in other sports you can get in you have to you can get away with it you have to have that youth movement to, to keep your team young and fast and and performing and that's just the way it goes right so mm-hmm. speaking of youth or anti-youth now uh, coming into this year, the Rangers needed a new third baseman in order to help replace future Hall of Famer. In my mind, are you gonna? Sorry, I gotta interrupt you because how oh. are you gonna listen? I miss the antics of Adrian Beltre. Oh my God, you didn't even let me say his name. But yeah, I mean, Adrian, a season without Adrian Beltre. I've never think about this. I've never lived a season without Adrian Beltre or Bartolo Colon. For born, he was playing already. Exactly. And in fact, you are sitting here at 13 years of age. And this is the first year that he has not been in the league. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane to me because I've grown up seeing Adrian Beltre and all the crazy things he does. Don't touch my head and all the things he does, right, with the Rangers. Not, now he's gone. And the Felix Hernandez stuff. And, oh, yeah. And, he... and Bartolo's next. Bartolo never next. Bartolo <laughs> was pitching when I was born, pretty much. But, but I mean, geez, like Bartolo's a whole different topic. Well, I mean, Ichiro, Ichiro's so, probably going to be next. I think. Uh, who knows? You know, it's wonderful to see that the, that we talk about this age movement and the youth movement in baseball, and yet you still have the Bartolos and the Ichiros out there proving us wrong all the way. And I love. Well, I was saying Ichiro too. That's how big he was. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing that these guys can keep going. You know, each mm-hmm. is fit, nothing against Bartolo, but I don't know how he keeps Okay, going. come on. He's big sexy. You cannot disrespect the man. <laughs> no, I'm not. He's Bartolo. Co- no, no, you are. By no, saying I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm not disrespecting him at all. He's got, he obviously, has some great conditioning under there, and, uh, <laughs> and he's also able to keep himself warm on a cold winter's night. That's, that's <laughs> the guy was pumping 90 last year and he's what 45 that's better than you could do he was pumping 90 because he wanted to get to the burger joint after the game as fast as possible mm, Bartolo's big sexy you cannot and, just and, and I would like to thank Bartolo because the only reason I can even make that comment is because he makes those comments and so mm-hmm. uh, he, he does laugh at himself too and, and you know what and all joking aside he obviously is an athlete because regardless yeah. of that exterior uh, look and, and even the, the jokes he makes about it, um, for to last that long in baseball, you've got to be an athlete. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like he's, he may come back. Him and Curtis Granderson still going strong. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see in this youth movement that the veterans are still needed in some way. Yeah, you know what? That's completely off topic of where I was going, but I'm glad we had that conversation. But, I mean, the Rangers had to replace future Hall of Famer in my mind, Adrian Beltre, which is not by any stretch an easy task. However, they have found someone to replace him, another veteran, as Drupal Cabrera. Cabrera has continuously been productive, and he joins a Rangers team that has anything but high hopes for, 20, for the 2019 season. The deal is for one year and $3.5 million. Did they get the right guy here, or should, or should they have just left their third baseman prospect, Patrick Wisdom, acquired from St. Louis, to prove himself in the bigs? Is Drubal still going to stick around and perform in the bigs, or should Wisdom have... Or should they have used some of their wisdom to guide Wisdom? 
Okay, but I'm going to give you the direct comparison here. As Drupal and Drury. That's what this is. It is a service time thing. You have a third baseman in Toronto named Brandon Drury for three weeks. <laughs> but the thing is... A third baseman in Texas for three weeks named as Drupal Cabrera. And that's the way this season's going to go. Let's all be honest about it. It's a service time. But listen, clearly you didn't do your research on Patrick Wisdom. Had you done your research on Patrick Wisdom, you would have known that he has 50-plus games of big league experience. Are you saying I have no wisdom on wisdom? I am saying <laughs> that I may have more wisdom on the Texas Rangers' wisdom towards wisdom than you may have. Oh, excellent wisdoming. Thank you. I'm very proud of how wisdom-filled this episode has been. It's very, very wisdom-filled. Uh, I, uh, I have not done any research on wisdom. I've not it shows. And uh, perhaps I should do that. I should do some homework on wisdom. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There's your daily wisdom. Moving it on. <laughs> Gotta stop with that. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, should they have let Patrick Wisdom prove himself in his second big league year, or was signing his dribble the right move? Well, let me ask the Google. Don't. Um, <laughs> I think that signing his dribble was a good move. I think he can mentor the kid. As dribble can play all over the infield. It's not necessarily no, just a third You know what? And, and all joking aside, I don't let me talk. A lot of, uh, what's that? Nothing. Keep going. Yeah, I, I did over talk to you, and I did it on purpose. And your father and I, I get first say. Uh, I, I think Estrubel is uh, is still. I mean, he's not going to be a superstar. There's no question about that. But, How dare you? Well, maybe he is. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's got one good one left in him. <laughs> Rangers are thinking too, right? And and I don't think this is a bad move. I think it's a great move for the Rangers, and and you're not hurting your team by putting him on your team and it's complete and utter depth, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And Hey, I think it's a great move for the Rangers and I would have done it too. If I was there, for the you know what? Plus, like I said, he's a utility guy. He can play second. He can play short. He could probably play some first, maybe some left field if you needed him to. And I think that he's going to help mentor wisdom with Cabrera, with his wisdom as as Dribble Cabrera, who's a veteran. Um, I think it's a great signing if you're Texas. And I don't praise Texas very often, but I think it's a great signing if you're the Texas Rangers. And quickly, before we do wrap this episode up, earlier today, just before the release of this episode and just after we spoke with Casey Stern, A.J. Pollock signed a four-year deal with the Dodgers. I believe it was a four-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. That's what it was. And uh, obviously, we had talked with Casey about how Bryce Harper may be holding up the market for A.J. Pollock. And that is certainly a possibility, but clearly Pollock and the Dodgers moved past that, and they were able to get him to sign. Um, and I do believe that Pollock is going to be a huge piece of that Dodgers outfield next year who just got rid of Matt Camp and Yasiel Puig, and they're going to need someone to carry that um, that outfield. And obviously Pollock's going to be the center fielder, which means Kiki Hernandez is going to get less time in center field, so will Jock Peterson, which will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, with no DH, especially in the NL. But I do believe that signing A.J. Pollock was something that the Dodgers needed to go out and do, and I think that's what Pollock needed. And uh, I think overall it was a good signing. So 
there's nothing that could have really been differently done here. I think the Dodgers were obviously, they emerged as the best suitor for Pollock and they signed him. Clearly they're now out on Harper. I don't think that there's any way on this planet that they have enough money to sign Bryce Harper and they're not going to. But I mean, it was a move that had to be made if you're LA and it's a good move in my mind. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in episode 13 of Two Lovens Baseball Talk. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to Casey Stern. It has been a blast. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll talk to you all next week.